Welcome, and thanks for joining the Closed End Fund Association for another discussion. Today, we will hear from an industry expert who shares insight on a timely issue affecting the Closed End Fund space. Hello, I'm Libby Hastert, Content Specialist at the Closed End Fund Association. Today, we're speaking with Brian Cordes, Senior Vice President, Head of Portfolio Specialist at Cohen and Steers. Cohen and Steers is a global investment manager specializing in liquid real assets, including real estate securities, listed infrastructure, commodities, and natural resource equities, as well as preferred securities and other income solutions. With investors increasing appetite for income-generating investment vehicles, we're going to talk with Brian about preferred securities and two of Cohen and Steers' closed-in funds. Select preferred and income, symbol PSF, and limited duration preferred and income, symbol LDP. Brian, it seems that preferred securities are an underutilized asset class among institutional investors. Why do you think this is the case? More, how do you see preferred securities being positioned in an institutional portfolio? Brian? I think you're right. You know, in a lot of ways, I think it's just about investor misconceptions. And with this asset class in particular, it really comes down to two things. Number one, the size of the preferred universe. Most think that it's a very small market. And then also the structure or the makeup of the universe as well. On the first point, when you think about the preferred universe as a whole, it's actually $940 billion in size. So it is a very large market, and that catches many by surprise. But on top of that, initially when investors think of preferreds, they typically think of the $25 par preferreds that trade on the New York Stock Exchange, they're fixed-rate perpetual securities, and they offer investors five years of call protection. So with a structure like that, you have a very long duration, and that's what investors believe make up the entire preferred universe, when in reality, that only represents about 20% of that $940 billion market. It's what we refer to as the retail preferred market or the exchange-traded market. The remaining 80% of that $940 billion universe is in what we refer to as the institutional or the over the counter preferred market. And it's in this market that institutional investors demand a fixed afloat structure because they don't want to take on the duration or the interest rate risk that is prevalent in that retail preferred market. So with that, when you look at the preferred universe as a whole, roughly two thirds of that universe has a duration of five years or less. Uh, And once again, proving that one of those misconceptions is actually inaccurate. Now, I will say some of those misconceptions of investors are starting to go away in that we continue to see more and more adopt preferreds as a part of their fixed income allocation, especially in the institutional market. We've seen a big pickup in interest there over the last couple of years. And typically when someone allocates to preferreds, they're normally doing so and making it 10 to 15% of their overall fixed income allocation. The name of your funds, Selected Preferred and Limited Duration, imply active management of the portfolio. How important is this in the preferred asset class? It's very important. In fact, uh, when you look at preferreds as a whole, not only are they 
is it more of a complex market? It's a market that's going under a lot of regulatory changes over the last several years, of which will continue as well. And then you also have the need to manage interest rate risk throughout times as well. And you know, if you look at the preferred market today and you look at some of the exchange-traded funds, some of those passive options that are available to investors, if you look at the largest exchange-traded funds in this space, they only are able to access that $25 market, that retail market. So not only are they accessing these fixed-rate perpetuals, which will be more interest rate sensitive, but that market is also shrinking. And as you would imagine, over time, the ETFs have grown in size, especially given the demand for income from investors. And with that, it just makes the performance in that market very susceptible to the flows in and out of the ETFs. So from an active manager standpoint, our viewpoint, we have access to that entire $940 billion universe, which can be very helpful. If you were to just take one point in time, look back during the taper tantrum of 2013, you know, we were able to post positive total returns during that period while the retail market actually lost about 4.6% and the institutional market gained 4.8%. So you could just see the dispersion of returns between the various preferred markets and thus the importance to have an active manager that can go in between and, and really identify the markets with the very best value. Currently, the yield spreads between high-yield bonds and investment-grade preferred securities are narrow relative to the historical average. Does this create a relative value opportunity for investors in the preferred securities? And in a rising interest rate environment, what would your expectations be for preferred securities as compared to high-yield bonds? Yeah, so uh, it's a good question. And when you look today at yield spreads, you know, if you look at the preferred market it's currently yielding 5.3%. Okay, now that's based off of an average credit quality of a triple B. If you were to look at the high yield market, the single B plus market today, it's yielding 6%. All right, so right now that has high yield with an income advantage of 70 basis points over the preferred market. However, if you look back historically, going all the way back to 1997, which is as far back as the data will allow, over that period, high yield has historically averaged a spread of 229 basis points over preferreds. So that spread is far more narrow today than what we've seen historically. And that's why we continue to see many investors allocate to preferreds at the expense of their high yield allocation, not moving out of high yield altogether, but just rebalancing a bit, so to speak, between the two markets. Because if you look at the high yield market, you need to drop down four or five credit notches from that triple B credit of preferreds just to pick up an added 70 basis points in the way of income. And investors are recognizing the better relative value in preferreds today. On top of that, there's also some good diversification benefits when you look at the two asset classes together. In the preferred market, it's primarily the issuers there are primarily banks and insurance companies. Whereas in the high yield market, you have more cyclically oriented issuers, commodities, energy, and you don't have as many bank and insurance issuance. So there also provides good diversification benefits to fixed income investors just from an issuer standpoint as well. Historically, both have fared pretty well in rising interest rate environments. With companies in the financial sector as the primary issuers of preferred securities, 
Should a rising interest rate environment benefit the preferred asset class as a result? Sure, sure. So when you think about banks and insurance companies, of course, they're really the industries that benefit most from a rising interest rate environment. A bank's benefits from a stronger net interest margin. Insurance companies will see better returns on their investment portfolios. And when you think about yield spreads, the yield on a preferred over that of, let's just say, a 10-year treasury, those yield spreads are all about credit risk. So to the extent that let's just say a bank, for example, to the extent that their credit risk becomes diminished in a rising interest rate environment because of the items that we've already discussed, it's possible you could see spreads continue to narrow. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't see the yield on preferreds move higher. It's just that you wouldn't have to see it move in a one-for-one relationship. So if the 10-year treasury were to rise 100 basis points, it doesn't necessarily mean you would see preferreds increase 100 basis points as well, meaning that spread would compress a bit. Income-oriented investors are often focused on being tax efficient, which leads us to municipal bonds. Do preferred securities warrant some consideration for those investors seeking to have a steady tax-efficient income stream from their portfolio? I think they do. And this also catches many investors by surprise. You know, just thinking about that preferred market again, yielding 5.3% today, what many don't realize is that a good portion of that income will be treated as qualified dividend income. By way of example, if you took a conservative point of view that only 50% of the income generated by preferreds would be treated as qualified dividend income, even for those making less than 400000 and those making more than 415000 you would still see them with an after-tax yield advantage over munis. In fact, for those making more than 415000 their after-tax yield would be 3.5%, whereas if you look at the municipal bond market today, it's 3.1%. So again, this is another area of preferreds where you can add some diversification to your portfolio, but also pick up an income advantage not only before, but after taxes as well. What's the outlook for Cohen and Steers Limited Duration Preferred and Income Fund, Inc., ticker LDP, and Cohen and Steers Select Preferred and Income Fund, Inc., ticker PSF? With preferreds in general, the preferred market, like many areas of fixed income, has had a good year. But we think when you look forward for preferreds, the asset class can still do well. And a lot of that is due to the fact that we think it still represents some of the best relative value in all of fixed income today for a few reasons. Number one are simply those income levels. And with everyone looking for income and not much readily available, preferred still offered. Again, uh, right now the asset class is yielding 5.3%, and we just talked about the fact that a lot of that income is tax advantages as well. You also continue to have good yield spreads. We discussed the yield spread in the high yield market, but if you were to look at even uh, yield spreads over the 10-year treasury today, right now preferreds have a yield spread of 300 basis points over the 10-year treasury, which puts it pretty much right in line with where it's been over the last going back to 1997 as well. So not many asset classes can say that right now. So from a yield spread standpoint, valuations still appear good as well. And then also you have the continued improving quality of the issuers. Again, with the majority of this asset class coming from banks and insurance companies, we all know the regulatory environment they've been operating under since the financial crisis. And as such, whether you look at major U.S. banks or major European banks for that matter, their capital levels have nearly doubled. 
And more importantly, what that does is really allows them to withstand to a better degree any type of stress to the financial market like you saw in 2007, 2008. The Fed stress tests that are conducted on an annual basis are a good barometer of how strong the banks have become. And then also you have those diversification benefits, very low correlation to both equities and bonds for that matter. So overall, taking all of that into account, we do believe preferreds, the outlook is still positive given the relative value advantages that we see in the space today. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. We appreciate that outlook as we look into 2018 and hope you'll join us again for another discussion. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will stop by again for news on this ever-changing space. Until next time, connect with us on Twitter at at CEF Association or by searching for the Closed End Fund Association on LinkedIn and YouTube.